Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com Hello, can you hear me? <coughs> I'm coughing off mic because I'm a professional. Hello everybody, how are you? Welcome to Homo Sapiens. Welcome to Homo Sapiens Extra, I should say, because that's what this is. It's an episode of Homo Sapiens Extra for the sharp-eared among you. Thank you so much to everybody who voted for us in the Listener's Choice Awards. We didn't win, but as our beautiful England team illustrated over the weekend, it is the taking part that counts. And I have to say a special shout out to our delightful and wonderful editor Steve, who did win. He won gold for Best Business Podcast, doing it for the kids. So all of you, go and have a listen to that. Steve is a wonderfully talented man and now has a mantelpiece laden with golden treasure, all for a very brilliant podcast that he does. So anyway, I'm hoping for a little bit of reflected glory in that direction. What else has been going on? Crow update for those of you who would like to know. Angry crows banging at my windows. Well, I got the plastic owl from Amazon, uh, which has these big beady eyes and a head that rotates, no less. And I put that outside my front door, along with about 15 photographs of owls glued into my sellotaped, not glued in case my landlord's listening, um, sellotaped into my windows. And I put some silver twizzlers outside my um, windows. And thanks to you all, because it was you guys who actually gave me um, all the advice on what to what to do. Sadly, As we know, crows are pretty clever. So no, I didn't receive any banging on my front windows. No, I didn't receive any banging on my front door from crows. But there was one window, a Velux window. You know those ones in a roof on the back of the house? Well, that's where they relocated to. Well, well, the main one relocated, the main crow relocated to. So I was woken again at 4am. But then I simply stuck an owl photo in that window and I saw the big fella off. And thank the Lord, because... um, I've finally been able to get some sleep. It was quite intense, let me tell you, listeners. What else is there to tell you? Well, for the long-term listeners among us, you will recall that from day dot, day zero, day one of Homo Sapiens podcast, we have always had an illustrious dream guest. Top of that list. Who was it, listeners? Can you remember? It was Sandy Togsvig. Togsvig, we've written, we've sent pigeons, we've sent missives through people, all sorts, to try and get to her attention. But sadly, listeners, nothing. Until, there I am minding my own business the other day, scrolling through Instagram, I get a message from Rory, one of our listeners, saying, you're never going to guess what, I am sitting on the train 
opposite none other than Sandy Toxvik. And I said, Rory, listen here. Don't mess this up. Go over to her. I'm going to record a video message, show it to her, with me saying, Sandy, we've written to you, please come on the podcast. Now, this is way above and beyond the requirements of any listener, but Rory was game, and Rory, I cannot thank you enough. So off he trotted, brave person that he is, off he trotted over to Sandy Togsvig and said, hello Sandy, and showed her the video that I'd made, saying, hi Sandy, please come on the podcast, blesses be upon him, and apparently, apparently, she found it hysterical wants to come on the podcast said that she'd never received a letter and uh we're gonna make it happen so they say so more more news as it breaks on togsvig watch togs watch togsgate no that would be if there was a scandal which there isn't yet but thank you rory for doing that really appreciate it thank you sandy in advance for coming to join us on the podcast you know how happy you'd make our listeners and me i'll admit it so let's see what happens there, hey? And then, of course, it's Thursday. So how are we feeling about the football? Because I'm going to tell you, listeners, <clears throat> I don't normally follow football. We're talking about sport today, actually, on Topic of the Week. Um, I don't really follow it. And then what's been coming into my field of view lately is Gareth Southgate and the young players and the new young players in the England team. And I'm thinking, I like the cut of this lot's jib. I'm not feeling that feeling I felt from previous generations of the England team where I thought, it's not for me. They seem very empathetic, doing amazing things for their communities. They seem pro-LGBTQ plus rights. Gareth Southgate wanting the team to take the knee for racial discrimination. All these things. I'm like, now this I can get on board with. It doesn't feel to me like football is operating in this sort of bubble all on its own, which doesn't consider anything else other than football these are only these are just my opinions but i don't know if anyone else is feeling that that's what i was feeling about it then of course we start doing well in the uh euros yeah it was the european cup wasn't it the euros anyway i don't literally don't even know what the name is <clears throat> the proper name i mean i know it was i know it was the euros eurovision so then we get through to the final and of course then me and my husband had to watch we had a great time because I tell you what, it's very easy to manage a football team from your armchair. Now I know what people are on about when they're shouting at the TV. It's all incredibly clear when you've got 47 cameras on it flying around. William, my husband, he just kept shouting, kick it, kick it to people. I was like, I think they've got the kicking bit down. It might be um, a little bit harder on the ground down there when you're in it. So many beautiful things came out of England going that far. I can't believe I'm talking about football. Um, it just felt like a moment for the country. It felt like everyone really got... That's me sipping elderflower cordial, just so you know. Like most football fans, shall I give you a reminder about what on earth is Homo Sapiens Extra? Well, Homo Sapiens Extra is where we read your emails. It's where we do a bit of LGBTQ plus news. It's where we discuss topic of the week, where we pick a topic that is relevant to us LGBTQ plus people and we talk about it, and we listen to your opinions, and then sometimes we talk to an expert, sometimes we don't. And we do Culture Club, where we find out what you guys are eating, reading, watching, listening to. It's where I get all my recommendations from. It is my lifeline of culture. And today, on Topic of the Week, we're talking about homophobia in sport, actually, because 
If you saw the recent very big news story that Carl Nassib, the American football player, came out, and it was a massive thing. He's the first active player to come out, and it is such a brilliant milestone, has been met with a ton of positivity. It hasn't just been positivity, it would be simple to say that, but it has been met with a lot of support, which feels fresh and new. So what we asked you for Topic of the Week this week is, do you think sport is still homophobic? We asked you a ton of questions in that direction. Really fascinating answers about homophobia in professional sport, but also homophobia in non-professional sport, where you have shared your stories about playing in teams or not playing in teams for that very reason of being concerned about homophobia, transphobia, anything other phobia that caters towards the LGBTQ plus community. And we're going to be speaking to the wonderful Devon Ibanez. Devon is one of just a handful of professional male rugby players who've come out publicly as gay or bi anywhere in the world. And he basically came out uh, at the beginning of the year, beginning of 2021, end of 2020. Um, always feels like there's a year missing, doesn't it? I'm like, when 2021 already? Um, he did it by on Instagram. And he is at that gay rugger. He's a fascinating guy. So we're going to talk to him about um, what that was like. And we're going to talk about your stories as well. So that's topic of the week. Is sports still homophobic? But first of all, what did you think of our interview with Carson Tula last week? His Disability Pride Month. We chatted to Carson, who is a wheelchair user. He's a disabled man. He is a life coach. He is an absolute wonderful beautiful man you can still listen to it on apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcast providers let me tell you so go and have a listen if you haven't listened and also while you're listening what you could do which really really helps let me tell you is you could give us a little rate and review simply scroll to the bottom on apple podcasts or whatever uh your favorite podcast provider is just write us a review it makes us go up the charts it makes people like sandy dogswick take notice of us and other housekeeping homo sapiens t-shirts you can buy them and we give all our proceeds at the moment to the albert kennedy trust so go to everpress.com forward slash homo sapiens get yourself a homo sapiens t-shirt or get yourself a homo sapiens sweater as well i've got both of course let's go and have a look at the emails let's let me do a typing noise emails mm, and your lovely messages on socials as they say lots of people had a lovely reaction to the Carson Tula episode Suzanne on Instagram said I loved your interview with Carson it was so inspiring and JC Bonetto got in touch um, about Carson's episode as well saying my husband sustained a spinal injury in 2012 I agree with Carson about finding our intimacy we did and exploring further sexual issues brought us closer than we thought possible thank you how lovely and how nice that Carson inspires people. I have to say that episode, the honesty with which Carson spoke about intimacy is something that is so incredible and something we can all learn from, I think. I know I did. Oh, and we've also we've got an agony uncle. Someone from the Homo sapiens community wants a little bit of guidance. Well, thank you for writing and let me have a read. Firstly, I love your podcast and have been listening for some while now, and I believe I'm educated each week. Oh, thank you so much. We aim to please, we aim to educate, all of the above. 
As a 55-year-old Glaswegian male who is in a long-term same-sex relationship, what I find a continuous struggle is aligning with the word gay, G-A-Y. Being brought up a Catholic and having lived through the 70s when it was still illegal in Scotland to be a man who loves cock, his words, not mine, and have to face the discrimination of many with Section 28 between 1988 to 2000. Section 28, for anyone not across it, as I wasn't for many years, is that Section 28 said you couldn't teach about LGBT people in schools. Back to the letter. I've never been able to claim the word gay as my own or feel happy to be called gay or queer or any of the too many in brackets other labels. I'm not closeted. I never came out. I stand up to bigotry and prejudice when I witness it. I wonder if it's a generation thing or a Catholic guilt thing or just a normal acting guy who loves men thing. Would love to know what you and the listeners think if you feel the same way, question mark. Well, listener, thank you very much for your message. Thank you for your letter. A few things to unpack here. I think it is never to be underestimated the subtle and pervasive, big words, effect things like Section 28 have of that idea of teaching by omission that being LGBT is wrong. Being brought up a Catholic is a whole thing. Religion and sexuality, complex. And it was illegal in Scotland when you were growing up, as you say here. All these things set out a stool incorrectly for you to feel not good enough, right? When you're hearing words like gay or any of the other labels being used in a derogatory manner around you growing up you know you're not going to want I think that's going to be from a very young age something in you not wanting to identify as that you know the ground is set for you to really not want to be identified as such however the other option is that maybe that isn't a label that suits you you know you write that there's in brackets too many other labels I don't know that there are too many I think what's coming to the front of a lot of what's going on in the world is that it's nuanced and it's a spectrum and you can be any of these things and you can identify as whatever you want and maybe that's worth something worth pursuing for you. You know, maybe you aren't gay. Maybe you are bisexual. Maybe you are pansexual. Maybe you are, you know... I think the conversation we had with Courtney Act, also available on your feed, Courtney Act spoke about talking to Chaz Bono about different identities of sexuality and it was Chaz Bono who actually said I actually think that you are not just a gay man you are more than that and I think you know maybe it's part of exploring that stuff for you that could be interesting here I think the one other thing I would say and the thing with these agony uncles is I've only got you know a couple of paragraphs to go from but one thing you mentioned at the end which I think for me was really useful to investigate and to find a lot of self-love do I want to say self-love I'm saying it self-love was you said I wonder if it's a generation thing or a catholic guilt thing or just a normal acting guy who loves men thing now there is quite a lot of um where that sort of internalized homophobia around normal acting and wanting to be normal acting even as a gay man not wanting to be camp not wanting to be 
you know, flamboyant and all those things. And I wonder, I'm saying this as a question because we can't talk, we can't have a dialogue, but I'm wondering if that's what's coming up here. And I think that is a really important thing to look into because the fear of not being normal acting, the fear of not of being a gay man who actually repulses others and all of that stuff might be the root of why you don't want to identify as a gay man. And I think that actually we really, really should all try and get to a place where no matter what we are, and that includes straight, but wherever we are in the LGBTQ plus spectrum is totally our own, totally doesn't have to be labelled, but we should be proud of it. We should be proud of the person that we are because that is who you are. That really is who you are. And your normal acting, whether you're outrageously camp or if you're hugely butch or if you're any of those things in between, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be labelled as such in any in any kind of way. Um, so I wonder if that's worth thinking about. And all I can say is please write back. Let me know if I was of, of any use. It's been a delight getting your message and thank you so much. And I love hearing from all of you. So please send us more of your agony uncles. Send us your emails, send us your comments, send us your questions. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com is the address. Go follow us on Instagram at homosapiens. Go follow us on Facebook at Homo Sapiens Podcast. Lots of messages from the Facebook page this week. I'll tell you that much. It was popping off. I am so excited about Topic of the Week this week. It fills me with joy. We've had such a beautiful reaction from you guys sending in your voice notes, your emails, all your messages. And we're going to talk to this wonderful rugby star called Devin Ibanez. He came out at the beginning of the year. We're going to talk about the question of is sport still homophobic? Because we've had Carl Nassib come out in the past couple of weeks, massive NFL player. It feels like that plus the context of how inclusive and compassionate the England team have been at the Euros and a few other acts of beautiful inclusivity across the Euros. Feels like Things are changing. Much work to be done and much work to be done around transphobia in sport. But it feels like Karl Nassib coming out has been a really interesting time for sport to see that reaction. So I'm so excited to sort of delve into all of this with you. So we're asking, is sport still homophobic? And uh, what we did is we opened up all these questions to you lovely listeners. We had a few polls. We asked you all, do you think is sport still homophobic? A resounding 97% of you said yes, with only 3% of you saying no. So 97% of you think sport is still homophobic. Callum did us a voice note. Hello, homo sapiens. I am 31 years of age. I'm from South East London. I have a huge difficulty with sort of participating in sports and just being generally around it. Obviously, this month, I've noticed it because the football's on and even walking past the pub and seeing it in the pub makes me feel anxious. So as for my age, I was unfortunately born under the Section 28 rule, which meant that I had a huge problem. I I did struggle at school coming out because I did come out at school. And I think it stems from the fact that, you know, I was always that boy at school, picked on, bullied on for being gay. And was picked last for that reason. And I, and that unfortunately obviously caused a lot of shame. And when it, and it, whenever it comes to sport, I struggle. Um, and I realized now more recently because I used to have a personal trainer 
I gave up my personal trainer just, well, I don't know, about three months ago now. I thought, why not? I try and do it myself. I don't need someone to tell me, you know, how to exercise. I've learned that. Anyway, it was really interesting. I would try and go out and do my, what I would do usually, because I like to train outside. But I was physically and mentally unable to do do it because I became so anxious. Thought people were judging me, shaming me. And that's just because of being back at school. I just got those memories and those flashbacks. Very interesting, Callum. I think it's about feeling out as an outsider in any respect, isn't it? Feeling like an outsider to sport, feeling like it's not for you that's giving you those anxieties. I can massively relate. It's very, very common. Next question we asked you, have you experienced homophobia or transphobia in sport? 50% of you said yes. 50% of you said no. Very evenly split. Isn't that interesting? Hazel said no. She wrote in and said, as a lesbian who has played football, hockey and netball for years, basically the whole team's queer and it's great. Tommy from Manchester got in touch. Tommy did experience some homophobia on the pitch. I was embedded and indoctrinated into sport since a very young age. I'm very much from a very sporty family, uh, playing football, cricket and rugby from a really young age. And that might be... Part of the reason why I didn't come out as bisexual until I was 30 during a pandemic. But anyway, when I was playing, I think three years ago, 2018, I did a slide tackle on an opposition player playing football. And his instant reaction was to call me the F word, not F-U-C-K, but the other F word, which is actually, you know, quite hard to say, to be honest. I was wearing an earring at the time, jewellery, like rings on my fingers, probably had dyed hair or something. I've got quite a lot of flair. (laughs) Uh, But my instant reaction was to, I just blew the guy a kiss. I've not experienced it on the pitch since, but I do think there is a societal and a very masculine sort of problem in sport with homophobia and transphobia. I've experienced it myself. I reported it to the ref. He did nothing about it. It's very low-level amateur football. Um, But, yeah, I don't know how we get past it. I'd like to think with this New England team, Harry Kane wearing the LGBTQ plus rainbow captain's armband, that might make young children see things a bit more positively. But, yeah, there's a long way to go, in my opinion. Tommy, the blow of the kiss is an absolute masterstroke i love it now tommy actually for the fact fans among us is a huge sports fan also what does he do in his day job he does our social media he's homo sapiens social media person and is a huge football fan it's been so lovely watching tommy experience the um the world cup the european cup the euros there we go but yeah it's really interesting isn't it these words like the f word that are very um thrown around and one thing i'm reminded of is the sort of misogyny baked into homophobia this hatred of the feminine coming from straight men that seems to be antipathical to sport that's really tricky and i don't know what it's about i suppose it's calling a man feminine is an insult and calling a man gay is an insult it's sort of used to sort of up people's matchiness and you've got to call it out. You've got to call it out. And there was that lovely, lovely cricket player, the England cricket captain who 
called it out when it happened on the on the pitch. Cricket pitch, cricket, cricket ground. Joe Root. Do you remember when Joe Root walked up to a player and said, there's nothing wrong with being gay when they were playing cricket? It's really cool. Now, next up, Rebecca is from Ireland and she said she had a bad experience playing women's field hockey. Hi, guys. So a couple of years ago, we had played a really good team and we had lost to them. And I was in the car with some teammates on the way back. And they basically started trash talking the other team, saying that they were basically men and they wouldn't go near those butch dykes. And I was in, you know, an out lesbian woman at the time. And it just really shocked me because I thought I was in a safe space with my team members. And I just felt so uncomfortable going forward that I actually ended up not playing with that team anymore. And luckily I had other sports to go and play, but as an LGBT athlete, that was a sport that was completely closed off to me as it was the only team in the area that I could play with. Yeah, Rebecca, that's so sad. That should not have happened. And and like you say, it means you just won't do it anymore. And so many people have said that, 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 you know, that experiencing homophobia or the fear of experiencing homophobia makes you not do it. And this is sport. This is exercise. This should be for everybody. It's free. It makes you feel good. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you shouldn't feel like it's not for you. Leading on from that, we asked, do you find it hard being queer and a fan of sport? 55% of you said yes. 45% of you said no. And Samuel got in touch about being a queer sports fan. And um, I think from what Samuel is saying, Samuel is trans. So this is another really interesting angle. The aggression of some male fans in sport is what turned me away completely because the assumptions from those particular men associate being gay with being effeminate, weak and somehow sexual threat in locker rooms. As if gay men do not belong in sport, it makes me feel threatened and that I need to conform to a certain type of behaviour and attitude with sports and sports fans and that's what takes the fun out of it completely. I shouldn't have to feel afraid of being, for lack of better words, found out. I know my experience is more trans-centric but that was the first thing that came to mind. But yes, it's exactly that. And people said it the same about going to the football or walking down the streets with the football being on in the past week or so, is that, you know, the the way that the atmosphere of people getting together and celebrating is really aggressive and feels very non-inclusive. I personally really don't like it Yeah, I think, like you're saying, Samuel, it's making people not want to do it. There was a lovely news item where this lovely non-binary football fan called Joe White from Lambeth went to a Wembley match in makeup last week for the first time since coming out as non-binary. And they had like this amazing makeup on, like looked really beautiful. You can find it on the inews.co.uk. And they tweeted this thing where they said, also, this is a really small and personal point, but today was my first game at Wembley in full makeup and overtly queer as opposed to just camp. Absolutely no issues from fans and some lovely chats, despite being absolutely petrified pre-game, really proud of our fans. And that is so lovely to hear, Joe, because, you know, there's me mouthing off about the atmosphere and I'm generalising in that previous comment. So, Thank you. And I'm so pleased to see. But what happened was Jordan Henderson, then the England players, then tweeted, Hi, Joe. Great to hear you enjoyed the game as you should. No one should be afraid to go and support their club or country because football is for everyone, no matter what. Thank you for your support. Enjoy the rest of the Euros. It's just lovely to see that, isn't it? It's like, yes, this is progress. Do you or have you played for an LGBTQ plus sports team was the next question we asked. Um, 13% of you have played, but a whacking great 87% of you said no, you have not played for an LGBTQ plus 
sports team. Ella um, wrote in to tell us about Rain On Me FC. I'm so excited about this. Rain On Me FC are a Manchester-based friendly football team for women and non-binary huns. We're a queer grassroots team and we strive to promote inclusivity and acceptance every time we train. We believe footy's got a long way to go in terms of inclusivity. Protecting our trans players is of paramount importance to our squad. We fully support the inclusion of trans women and non-binary people in football. Our team was founded to be a safe and loving space. The team was formed in 2020 after a conversation I had with my flatmate Delphi, who's now one of our coaches. I told Del I wanted to start a footy team after watching Bend It Like Beckham again for the millionth time. Most of our mates are queer and we have always felt that sport can be extremely heteronormative, male-dominated and at times aggressive. Rain on Me FC was created in opposition to this. Our committee worked brilliantly to help run the team and it wouldn't exist without them. It's a real community. We hope to join the Northwest Inclusive League for women and non-binary people, but for now, we have fun playing in the rain every Sunday. Everyone who turns up to training leaves covered in mud with the biggest smile on their face, and that's what's important. Uh, that is so lovely to hear about. What a lovely kind of inclusive sports team. And it makes me realise that, you know, we're talking about is sports still homophobic? Maybe a, another way to frame that question is, is it built for one kind of person still? And it seems that it is from listening to what you're saying. that A lot of people talking about finding the aggressive atmosphere, something that you don't want to be part of. And, you know, what Ella is building with Rain On Me FC is this kind of just it's just a team for a different kind of person who wants to do sport and opening up and broadening it it's just beautiful it makes me so excited and it's really interesting actually because I remember talking before on this podcast about how I went to play with Crawley old girls I went to play football with Crawley old girls who are a 45 year old women only team and we played football and I loved it because I played it without all of that masculinity stuff going on and we had the best time they let me play with them for a match honorary now next question we asked is have you avoided sport because of fear of homophobia or transphobia 64 percent of you said that you have avoided sport because of fear of homophobia or transphobia louis has done us a voice note so when i was in primary school and kind of the start of secondary school there was so much so many homophobic jokes and comments in the changing room that when i did finally come out I avoided team sports, especially football, like the plague, because I was really stressed about being bullied. Um, luckily for me, I managed to get into cross country, which I found a much more accepting environment, and I had such a great time. And now I'm carrying on with cross country at university and everything. Um, so luckily, I did find a sport that I love. But for me, I think team sports were really, really homophobic a lot of the time. And I think that's changed because I've been working in my gap here as a teacher at a school. And it seems that everything is much more accepting, and especially the kids. Lots of them have come out early, and we didn't really have that. Um, so it's nice to see that things are changing. But yeah, for me, I think team sports, the laddish culture especially, was what was really bad. Anyway, love the podcast. Very important and interesting distinction there, Louis. You know, it's team sport where we're coming, having these problems come up. And that laddish culture, I don't want to say it's everybody, because I think, you know, even the New England team, it feels like uh, just this beautiful breath of fresh air. But, you know, there is a pervasive culture that a lot of you appear to be talking about. And things like Rain On Me FC are just paving the way. Must mention the Kings Cross Steelers as well. Um, beautiful queer rugby team. And I think it's really interesting that you ended up in cross country, which is kind of more of a solo sport. And actually, I can very much relate that I ended up 
I did the marathon a couple of times. Yes, my time was four hours fifteen. Um, maybe not on both occasions. Can't remember. I think the first one was four and a half hours plus a week. Um, but I started doing running because it was actually a way to get fit, which didn't involve other people because I just felt so threatened by all of that kind of machismo. Even running, I'm always like, oh, I had that residual thing of like, oh, do I look gay running? Even earlier today, I went on a run and I was like, ran past some people. I was like, interesting, because I knew I was going to be talking to you all about sport being homophobic. And I was like, it's funny how there is just a glimmer in my mind of like, oh, I wonder if I'm appearing not up to scratch in the way that I'm running. Interesting how this stuff sticks around, isn't it? Um, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. We've got a voice note here from the lovely Steve, who has done his previous voice notes. I adore you, Steve. Well, went to my first straight pride on Sunday. Also known as England versus Italy. And I tell you what, the music was shit. There was not one Liza Minnelli impersonator and the dancing, I don't want to even talk about it. When I asked the people who'd been bottled, how's your head? Not one of them said, oh, I never had any complaints. Ten o'clock on the way to Charing Cross, people were so off their tits. I swear, their mates would have held my hair while I gave them oral pleasure. I won't be going again. <laughs> Steve, I love you so much. Thank you so much for that. Uh, what a brilliant voice note. I think it's time we get some pro. And I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm not a pro, what with the whole four hours 30 marathon under my belt. But I think it's time to phone a friend and talk to them about this whole question is sports still homophobic we're going to chat to devin ibanez now devin is a major league rugby star in america and he came out at the beginning of 2021 and he uh sort of opened this instagram account called at that gay rugger and he basically told his fans that he wanted to start 2021 by celebrating the love of my life and partner fergus adding i am openly gay and he has explained that he wants to make a rugby a more inclusive sport for everybody. And the first step he wants to take is encouraging people to speak out against the recent world rugby ban that excludes trans athletes from international competition. Um, and he said the statement where he said, I'm hoping that the rugby community as a whole will recognise that this ban goes against the core values of our sport and is unacceptable. As long as this harmful and discriminatory ban is in place, rugby can never be considered the most inclusive sport um so he came out just at one of a handful of 
professional rugby players to come out publicly as gay or by anywhere in the world and you know people like him have paved the way for people like Karl Nassib to come out and you know some other no- big notable names in rugby who are gay is Gareth Thomas who was the Welsh rugby legend and he was he was the ex-captain he had over a hundred caps for his country and then of course Nigel Owens of course I say this like I'm a sports person I'm reading this off notes listeners um, then we had Nigel Owens who was the international rugby referee and he's one of the most respected in the game and he he came out this is the kind of um the small glimmers of people across sport who have done brilliant brilliant work and Devon is absolutely up there as one of the real trailblazers of being openly gay as an athlete um so let's go have a chat with him thank you so much for doing this no thank you the question we're asking this week on the podcast is like do you think sport is still homophobic and I wonder what you think about that, having done it firsthand. I think it would be impossible to say that it's it's not homophobic. I think that I think that part of the reason it was you know so great that I got this amazing reception and that you know what I experienced was mostly positive feedback is because we still have this sort of default expectation that we can't come out in that space and expect that kind of response, right? So I think that yes. without that expectation, that it's like an inherently kind of hateful space or just kind of an uncomfortable space to be openly gay in like Mm. until that is not the expectation i think it's impossible to come out and say oh well sports aren't homophobic because now you know we have some openly gay athletes just because there's some people who feel comfortable coming forward and kind of taking that chance doesn't really mean the problem has been you know eradicated so to speak no so we talk to the listeners about it you know we put questions to them and say you know like what's happened with you and you know have you um have you experienced homophobia in sport and stuff? And one of the people who did a voice note for us was Tommy saying that, you know, he got called the F word, as I believe we're now meant to say, um, on the pitch. And it's this word that gets thrown around all the time in sport. I had it directed at me when I was playing American football growing up. That was just kind of a way that they would let you know that you were, you know, you were lesser than them, right? Like you can't mm. possibly, you know, be associated with being gay and also be, you know, tough or be a, you know, successful athlete. So it's still really common because it's just like a very easy way to just sort of point to somebody and say like, oh, they're different, right? Look at how they don't fit into what we've been told is a really successful athlete. But Carl Nassib, like when he came out, I actually got like an increase in sort of hateful messages towards me just because there was this kind of like increased visibility now where there's this athlete who's kind of come forward and has said, you know, I'm proud to be gay. You know, I'd commented on his post or whatever and congratulated him. And now all these people are sort of seeking me out to sort of have this backlash of, okay, well, here's another athlete I can point this towards. Wow. I mean, this is potentially a stupid question, but like, what are they saying? Um, the most recent one was basically just telling me that, you know, me and my parents, um, belong in prison or that we belong in, you know, a mental institution or that basically pointing to other countries that have death sentences for people who are thought of as being LGBTQ plus saying that, you know, oh, we wish we had that here in the United States because that's a great policy. I wish we had that here. So that's a lot of what you're getting is just people who are just kind of violently upset at the fact that you feel comfortable you know, standing up and being yourself in a space where we're supposed to all kind of fit into this box of just being an athlete who shows up, goes to work and, you know, sort of does this quote unquote manly activity. Fuck. I mean, 
listen, I'm so grateful that people like you are out there and doing this amazing work. Because I remember you saying that it was really hard playing American football, right? That's kind of why you left. Yeah, I mean, I basically had somebody who was on my team who would, as we already talked about, you know, the F word, it was something that I was called literally every single day at training. Like it was the second that, you know, the coaches were somewhere else. That's what I was being called. And it just, I just hated the sport. Like I just, I, mm. I didn't have people who were willing to step up and say like, you know, hey, that's not okay, or felt like they would, you know, want to say something on my behalf. And I was just kind of a quiet kid. So mm. I would just sort of internalize that. And, you know, you also get into this headspace as an athlete where you're like, well, I don't want to have this, you know, visceral reaction to people using homophobic language, because I don't want to out myself, right? Like, you don't want to mm -hmm. bring any excess attention onto yourself. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what I really experienced a lot of the time was me just kind of, you know, clamming up and being more inside of myself because I didn't feel like I could just sort of like speak up and say, well, hey, that's not okay. I was kind of just sitting there waiting for somebody else to do it for me. And unfortunately, it just never really happened. Well, it's that thing of like, you got to see it to be it, right? Um, you know, that comes back to representation in all things. And there are not many athletes pre or post their careers coming out and making it seem like it's okay and it reminds me a lot of like pop music 20 years ago you know it's like there's a few people milling around <laughs> and of which you're one of the first but it's a rarity I think it's interesting what you say though you need to see it right and you need to see other mm. people who are happy and successful you know living a life that is sort of similar to yours and I loved with your you interviewed one of my heroes which is um you interviewed a luck and Alok ah. is so, so, so good. And something they said that I love, and like I always think about this, is, you know, they were saying, especially as a gender nonconforming person, like just going out and being themselves was like, that is an act of protest, right? That is something that hmm. is touching all these people that you see, whether they know it or not, or whether you know it or not, I should say. And I've sort of applied the same thing to rugby, like with me going to tournaments and, you know, hopefully my partner is going to be here with me soon being able to go to a tournament with my partner and just like be unapologetically openly gay and just like they're unafraid to, you know, show affection to my partner and, you know, not be facing ridicule for it, being supported by my teammates. Like that is kind of my way that I can sort of protest what I've found to be, you know, a homophobic environment or an environment where I just never felt like I'd be comfortable doing that. Because you don't know and you are socially conditioned to think that people are going to have a problem with it right? It's not in your head. You know, you're not making it up. No, it's it's definitely not in your head. And I think that that's something that was surprising in a positive way, but also somewhat frustrating with my coming out, which is that all the support was so positive in terms of the people who, you know, I've played with, or, you know, I've come across like anybody who reached out to me personally, none of it was negative. It was all that, you know, rugby is the kind of place where, yeah, everybody is welcome. And of course, you know, there shouldn't even be a thing, you know, why should you even feel the need to say this? Of course you should know that we'll, you know, have your mm -hmm. back, but it's like, I don't think that you would know that just going into your everyday training environments, right? Like when you've got people who have, yeah, used, you know, used that word and called me that, you know, calling me the F word on the pitch. And it's like, I had a coach who, if you had a bad training, he would sort of point to you and say, Hey, you should go play with the Boston Ironsides. I hear they're looking for some average players. The Boston Ironsides are the local inclusive gay rugby team in Boston. So it's right. like, you could point to any team and say, go play with this lesser team. But the one that sticks out to you as being the most lesser is an inclusive mm. gay rugby team. Right. And it's like, you constantly get these messages, but it's like, even that same person who I just described to you, 
has been incredibly supportive since I came out, you know, has taken me aside mm-hmm. to say like, you know, oh, yeah, I think it's great. You know, the stuff that you're doing. And I'm like, I like, this really? is not what I felt reciprocated in the kind of environments that we have when we're actually training. So it's about like, how do we sort of let people know that there is still this issue of homophobia without, you know, outright saying that it's a really hostile environment because a lot of the time it isn't right. A lot of the time it's those comments and the you know language that gets used, but it becomes really difficult to kind of explain why that's makes you so uncomfortable as a closeted athlete, because it's just not something that, you know, the straight athletes really think about, especially in men's rugby. You know, what do you think? Cause I thought one of the mo- most amazing things about the Euros, the football is that Harry Kane wore a rainbow armband. What do you think are the effects of things like that for kids out there? I think it's fantastic. I mean, and it all, you know, I hate to re-reference the same interview, but I, was, I just really do love Locke. But they said it best where they're like, you know, I saw these cheesy t-shirts that always had these phrases on them and I didn't realize the purpose of them until I was somewhere where that's not the kind of representation they get, right? So in my mm-hmm. case, I always, you know, since coming out, I always wear kind of these rainbow laces and I wear, you know, any sort of like overtly gay imagery that I can because it's just kind of opening that door to somebody who might just see you and just say, that's something that I'm not used to seeing in this space. And it kind of like opens them up, right? And they feel like they mm. can approach you. And even for me, like having teammates who they'll come over to me and they'll see my like rainbow laces and be like, hey, you know, I really like your laces. That's an easy way for you to be like, I support what you're doing and like the kind of visibility that you have without outright being like, hey, I think it's really cool that you like men and that you're talking about that. You know what I mean? Yes, it's sort of progressive, subtle representation. One thing I wanted to ask you about is that when you made the decision to come out, it was because something big had happened to you, right? You know, that that you had got injured and... Yeah, and it's always a really tough one because it's like your coming out journey, there's all these different like things that yes. happen. Like there were like so many different factors that mm. led to it. But in 2017, where I took a shoulder to the throat it caused a fracture in the cricoid cartilage in my throat and the swelling basically caused my airway to almost close completely. And so it was my first sort of experience of having a near life-threatening injury, you know, coughing up blood after a match and struggling to kind of breathe unassisted. And that's where I really had this idea of like, okay, you've taken this rugby thing pretty far, right? You've traveled to Australia, you've been to New Zealand, you've been to England, you've done more than you would have possibly you know, thought that you could have done in this sport. That's what made me start thinking of, you know, what are these other things you could do that would mean something to you, right? And for me, it wasn't a very hard answer to find because I'd been out to my family since I was 11 years old, but I'd been playing rugby for, you know, at that point, about 10 years and hadn't Mm -hmm. really told any of my teammates that I was gay. And I think that when I had this realization that, you know, this is something impactful you can do not just, you know, hopefully for other people who might be inspired by it, but something that you'd be really proud to do to just be able to say, yes, rugby is the sport I love, but, you know, this is also who I am. And this is something that I don't feel like I should have to hide, you know, from what my biggest passion is. So that's really Mm. what led to me making this sort of decision. Because before that, I think I was just happy to, you know, let my sexuality be kind of a small detail that I never talked about. And, I just kind of realized at that point that it didn't have to be that way. And that by, you know, buying into that, I was basically fitting into a box or fitting into these restrictions that, you know, had been set for me by other people, right? And, you know, other people not wanting you to speak up. 
you decided you were going to do an Instagram account, didn't you? That was what happened. Is that right? And you were like, that's how I'm going <laughs> to announce myself. Oh, man, I wish everything was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> it looked it from where I was. Yeah, going. it looked relatively simple. No, so what I mentioned was 2017, right? That's when I have that fractured throat. And yeah. I end up meeting my partner, you know, at the very end of 2017. And so that's kind of something that added this whole new urgency to coming out, right? Because I think for a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. many years, I told myself like, yeah, you know, you're in the closet and, you know, maybe, maybe if you have a, you know, a partner that you're with long term someday, then that's more of a reason to kind of come out. You know, you don't really feel like you're hiding something when you're not hiding somebody else or hiding a relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, when I met him, there was this just whole new idea of, okay, now I have this other person that I'm bringing along for the live, bring, bring along for the ride and, you know, that I'm kind of... And the lies. And the lies. <laughs> bring along with the lies. But I mean, I'm literally dictating how open they can be, right? And it's like, yeah. I don't want to dictate how open my partner is with our relationship and what we're going through. And so that's when this was all sort of coming to, you know, coming to a head was when mm -hmm. I'm in the United States and I had just signed my, you know, first professional contract and my partner was living in the UK. So now we're long distance and, mm -hmm. you know, the pandemic comes around and I was really struggling with depression because I was not only separated from my partner, but now I was separated from my other love, which is rugby, right? There's no competitions. There's no, mm -hmm. you know, path for me to keep playing and set goals for myself. And that's where this sort of whole idea of the Instagram account and all that came about wasn't actually right. originally as a way for me to come out. It was actually originally set up by my partner because he was like, it would be great if you had somewhere where you could, you know, post some rugby videos or things just so you feel like more connected to it now that you're not playing. And when they decided to make that coming out post, that's when it made sense of me being like, you know what, maybe this should be the first post on my Instagram is I just made this whole coming out thing. Maybe I can use my Instagram as a way to sort of talk about my experiences as a closeted athlete and, you know, hopefully be more visible and show other athletes that, you know, this is mm -hmm. something you can do and you can do it and still be happy and still be a successful athlete. One of our listeners, Louis, commented that he's working in a school right now teaching young kids and he said that he's actually noticed that it is improving at a grassroots level and do you think that's true what do, what should we be doing more of to try and improve this i absolutely think it's improving and i think that a lot of what needs to be done to improve it is happening in certain places i think it's a really difficult <laughs> issue to speak about broadly because there's obviously mm. so much variety not just like within the united states but then like within other countries and within the uk but i think that the most important thing being done at grassroots is just yeah is just being willing to talk about it right and talking about role models within different sports and as you said you know once you see it you know that you can be it and i think that there's a lot of effort also being put towards getting rid of homophobic language in sports environments. I think that that yeah. is a big focus that I know would definitely be helpful to me. And same thing with, you know, wearing more things that are actively showing support for the LGBTQ community. You're seeing that a lot at the grassroots level. And I think that one of the reasons I harp so much on the inclusivity in sport and like the importance of that is because sport really has this like incredible transformative power to like set that kind of precedent, right? Like I think a lot of queer people, when they look back at their time and their experiences in school and their experiences with athletics, a lot of like the worst abuse they got were from people who were on sports teams or, you know, boys who were playing sports to see that message go the other way and now say, well, sport is now actually, you know, one of these spaces where people are 
actively coming forward and saying, this is something that needs to change. And this is something that matters to us because we value inclusion. We value players being able to feel like they can be themselves and perform their best. That's something that really speaks to, you know, the LGBTQ community. And that's something that I really try to like relay to sports players and relay to sports teams is that you have more power in this than you think, right? Like mm-hmm. sports are not, <laughs> sports are not solely for straight people. It's just a lot of LGBTQ people have been told you know, by many people throughout their whole lives that it wasn't the space for them. And that's kind yes. of the work that we're trying to undo. Yes. Yeah. Cause we, so we did a poll and we asked people, have you avoided sport because of fear of homophobia or transphobia? 64% of people said they had. Sport is supposed to be a celebration. It's good for you. It makes you feel good. It's, it should be for everybody. Yeah. And I think that another kind of aspect of it that I think about is, you know, obviously queer artists are, you know, among the greatest artists in the world, right? There's there's mm, so mm, much mm, that mm. comes out of, you know, that part of our culture and our community yeah. and performance art and, you know, using your body to express your emotions and to send a message. Like sport is literally just that. Like it is just a way for you to express yourself through your sort of physical exertion, through how you play. And I feel like so many queer people don't see it as that. Right. They just see it as the, oh, you know, this is just a place where men go to compete and yell at each other and get out these aggressive emotions. Yeah, that's an incredible parallel I've never considered is that like when I think about if I imagine music, right, pop music or the arts being somewhere where I experienced all that kind of and I'm generalizing here, but let's talk about macho aggression. Mm -hmm. Imagine if that was how I felt about that. Because when I arrived in the arts as a job or as a world, I was like, I'm home. These people get me. What you're saying is so true that like often it's the queer people who are the brilliant ones at stuff. And why why shouldn't that be sport? And there's literally nothing about it other than some kind of pervasive, um, what's culture? That yeah. has somehow landed somewhere, but I don't know what started that. Well, it's the history. I mean, it's the entire history of sport, right? I mean, sport was often something that was just for, you know, the rich, right? It was for the upper class. And that was often, you know, just basically for white people. And specifically, when you have a sport like rugby with so many roots in, you know, colonization, where, you know, many countries were just introduced to this sport, because they were colonized and that was a sport that was brought to them. Like these are all the histories of our sport that go back to, you know, like I said, not only classism and racism in terms of who had access to these sports, but also these roots of sexism where it was said that, you know, only manly men should be in sport, right? Sport is not a place Mm. for women. Sport is not a place where you can be effeminate and still be successful. And that's kind of how it impacted gay men and, you know, potential, you know, queer athletes was they were, told that you know unless you were this masculine heteronormative manly man that you weren't really valued in this space and that you Mm. know you were seen as being lesser and i think that that's what really needs to be undone is this idea that you know what you're like what your affectations might be how your voice sounds has any bearing on you know what you're capable of as an athlete and i think that that's something that i've really wanted to focus on is just getting rid of this idea that you need to be any of those things to be successful. I mean, you don't even Mm. need to be a good athlete to be a successful athlete. And I think that that's something that people don't think about. (laughs) People think that you have to come already, you know, ready to go and, you know, with all this experience, but all athletes just started as a kid who wanted to try something new. 
right? That's mm. kind of everybody's base in the sport. And I think that that's the biggest issue right now is getting it to the point where that is accessible to the queer community, right? And that they don't feel like they have to fit into a certain box just to be seen as even eligible to express themselves in that way. Yes. And did you find almost the converse? Because I, I remember reading that you were a really active kid, you know, who wanted to, you know, do all those kind of boisterous things. And did you find in some respects that that found made it harder for you to find your place within the queer community? Because there's not, you know, sometimes the the image of the queer community can be a bit narrow too. Yeah, I, I think that I always kind of felt as though I was kind of like one foot in each each space and not really fully welcome in either, right? Like within rugby, I was not, you know, I was not that heteronormative kind of stereotype, right? Like rugby is a big drinking culture. I was not really a drinker and I just didn't really like relate to my teammates in a lot of ways. But then like when it came to like the queer community in terms of like going to a gay bar, and this was an experience I'd had a few times. I'm not really the type of person to go out very often, but like, for example, when I was in um, Amsterdam in 2018 for the Bingham cup, which is like the international gay rugby world cup, I would go to their, you know, parties and I would go into the bars and, you know, just have a few drinks and meet some people and talk to them. I would always feel very much so like people didn't really know how to place me. Right. They're like looking at me and being like, is he here just like, is he somebody's like friend? Is this just like an ally? Like, why is he here? Right. And I think that it just got to the point where it's like, okay, well, you're not fully fitting in with your rugby friends because you're not really sharing yourself with them. And then you're also not fully fitting into the queer community because you're not visibly seen as being queer enough. And it's like, you'd fall into all these things where we all buy into these notions of, you know, what is and isn't a gay person or what is and is not like a manly quote unquote athlete. Totally. And actually the only version that you should ever be is yourself. And sometimes that's harder, you know, but you did it. It's amazing. And congratulations. Thank you. It is, it really does seem very simple when you say that. And, you know, I think for anybody who is listening, who, you know, is in that kind of position where they're thinking about coming out. And I know that it's obviously not an option for everybody as much as I would love to say, you know, just come out and just do it. But I will say one thing that was very true for me is once I did come out and was, you know, speaking honestly about what my experiences were and what I went through being a closeted athlete, it just like opened up so many things for me that I never thought would have been possible. Like, I think I spent so much of that time where I was feeling depressed and I was feeling like I didn't fit into any of those boxes, right? I didn't have a home in either of those communities. A lot of what kind of keeps me going forward now is having come out and see like, there's so much out there that I can do now. I limited Mm. myself so much by not just speaking up and being honest and saying, this is me and this is what I'm experiencing. And the second that I did, I realized you have value, right? You have so Mm -hmm. much value in what you've been through and what you can hopefully inspire others to do and, you know, inspire others to find that sort of same joy that you found that I think that that's something that I didn't think about before I came out. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that I was limiting myself in that way. I just told myself that the only way I was limiting myself was by, you know, maybe not sharing a few experiences of what I do on the weekend with my teammates or, you know, a private detail that didn't need to be brought up in conversation. But what I was really doing was limiting myself from seeing the potential of, you know, what that kind of expression could do and what kind of doors that would open. Mm. Well, 
it's incredible to listen to and thank you so much for doing it because you were going to inspire a whole generation it's magical devin so thank you (laughs) oh i really hope so what a delight that man is how humble is he as well for you know what he's done is just incredible putting your job on the line you know when you're when you're forging a path that has not been forged by many others and doing it with such kind of grace and humility and humbleness choosing to make sure that he's visible all the time wearing those rainbow laces doing all these things about seeing it to be to be it is is really interesting and really interesting to learn a little bit about the history of rugby actually and the history of sport you know hearing from him his opinions on why it has that macho atmosphere very interesting thank you so much for that devin um all this talk of exercise has got me hungry i mean it hasn't really i've actually eaten quite a lot today because i made a big salad by salad i mean something with cheese in and uh i made too much so i ate some and now i ate and i ate, then i ate kind of another bowl of it so i'm not um I'm not actually hungry, but that doesn't mean I'm not thirsty for all of your Culture Club recommendations, listeners. What are you reading? We asked. Emma is reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Benet. Lorenzo's reading The Summer That Melted Everything by Tiffany McDaniel. Don't know these two books. Hmm, interesting. Mickey says The Diva Rules by Michelle Visage has insights that are proving helpful into Mickey's job progression and aims. Oh, OK. Well, everyone needs to be a little bit more Michelle, don't they? Ah, Craven North is reading Patrick Kale's Tree Surgery for Beginners. Like all his writing, it's amazing. Now, now Patrick wrote Man in Orange Shirt, which was um, a TV show. Well, it was adapted for TV, I should say. Sorry, Patrick, if you're listening. Um, beautiful, beautiful story. Greg's reading The President's Daughter by Bill Clinton, James Patterson. Ah, now this is Bill Clinton has written a thriller with big writer James Patterson. It was okay. It's a review. I'd pop that to the bottom of your list, listeners. Now, what have you been watching on television? So, do you know what I've been watching? I've been watching this thing called High, which is about two girls who smuggled drugs. They were in Ibiza and then they flew to Peru. And they were called the Peru 2. And they got busted with £11.5 million pounds or dollars worth of cocaine trying to get on the plane. Fascinating documentary on BBC Three, actually BBC iPlayer. Have a look at that. Ishko and Mac are watching season two of Special. Of course you are, because our lovely Ryan O'Connell guest a few weeks ago is in it. Lauren is watching Succession. I loved Succession. Everyone went nuts for it at the time, but also said they didn't understand the characters were very not likable or something. I was like, I don't. They need to be likable. They need to be hysterical, which these ones were. Cindy's been watching Glow Up. Matthew and CB are watching Elite. Emma's been watching Sweet Tooth. Ooh, cool. Herbie's been watching Love, Victor, which is the TV version of Love, Simon, for anyone who doesn't know. Love, Simon. Beautiful gay story. Um, Daniil's watching Glee again. Oh, my God, Glee. Wasn't Glee just so full of joy? Daniel Magnus does say that Glee has aged in very strange ways, though. Mm, that's interesting. Once the scales fall from your eyes about all this stuff, you can't unsee it, can you? What are you cooking? Craven has been looking for a perfect recipe for focaccia. Is focaccia got something to do with you put hot water in the bread, in the bread mix? Am I am I dreaming, Craven? Let me know. Um, oh my God, Louis has been making chicken burgers with halloumi and pine nut salad. Yum. Emma has been making white chocolate and strawberry sponge cake. Emma... I really want the recipe for that. Would you mind sending it in? And Michael sent us in a picture of his 4th of July pecan pie. So my soggy bottom didn't ruin my 4th of July pecan pie. 
Thank you for that, Michael. There's a picture of a beautiful handmade pecan pie. Mickey's been having nachos. Oh my God, I love nachos because you can sort of have a snack and a drink and a chat when you're having nachos. And I always think that's a bit nicer. I'm actually, do you know what? I love a tapas situation at dinner. A bit of a snack and and, and talk. Can you tell I like talking listeners? What music are you listening to now? Cat's been listening to Get Your Freak On by Missy Elliott. Of course you have Cat, because it's great. Doesn't age. Reese has been listening to August by Taylor Swift. Have you been listening to um, Taylor's new album where she's re-recorded the songs? Sort of amazing that she's done that. David's been listening to Got Me by Laura and Vula. Her new album looks brilliant. I love the look of that new one. Now, lots of people have been listening to John Grant. Oh, and Fleetwood Mac. Always a hit. Do you know what I've been listening to? Stromae, S-T-R-O-M-A-E. Amazing queer, I think queer music. Um, And Peggy Goo, G-O-U. Really love that. A song called I Go. And the Stromae song was called Allure en Dance. It's French. As you can probably tell from my beautiful French accent. I'm going to go and listen to some of those lovely tunes while I make myself some tapasy dinner. But first... Let me tell you about the earth-shattering news we have for next week's interview. We've only got Michael Stipe on the show, just one of my absolute personal heroes. I've loved him since I was a child when he was frontman of REM. And he, you know, has also been for a long time an illustrious, an illustrious, nice choice of words, Chris, photographer. And he's an artist in every sense of the word. He is a big listener of this podcast, listeners, let me tell you. Um, fascinating that one thing he told me, among many other fascinating things, is that he loves to create lists. Hence why that their incredibly iconic song, The End of the World we know, As We Know It, is a list. It's a full of lists, which I just thought, you know, when you're like struck between the eyes of like, this piece of like my childhood i'm like that's just because you like writing lists. that's incredible um here's a quick listen for you for some of our chat how do we embrace uh, our differences and acknowledge what mm. what the beauty of those and then find a common ground so that we can march forward together mm. so we can go into the future you know not holding hands and skipping and singing tra-la-la but with some level of equality and and i don't know happiness so harmony um, i suppose isn't it harmony you thank know. you harmony all the good H words. Yeah. Harmony and happiness. Yeah. <laughs> All of that and more next week. I'm so excited about that chat. And in the meantime, please stay in touch. Send us your comments, your questions, your agony uncles to hello at homosapienspodcast.com or get in touch. Go follow us at homosapiens on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook at homosapienspodcast. Go, please, write us a review. And that's it. Loads of love, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and see you next time. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Powered by Spirit Studios.